Fist and Nancy, you're with me? Ready to go? Okay. <laughs> All right, so this is our fourth week, and we are talking about what? The blood of Jesus. Uh, let me give you a hint. I put all the answers in the first couple of lines, so this way you can follow up with me. Um, so yes, we have been talking about the power of the blood of Jesus, and this is our, how many sermons we have so far? We did three, and this is the fourth one, correct. What have we been talking about so far in the past three Sundays that we talked about the blood of Jesus? First Sunday, we talked about forgiveness, that in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, without the blood shed, there is no forgiveness of sin. And we say that it's the blood of Jesus, the only reason for us to be forgiven before God. Amen? And then the week after that, we talked about the blood. We said that, what is the benefit of the blood that we talked about? Enter into the holy place, absolutely. And that is from Hebrews chapter 10. We have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Amen? And then, not last week, the week before, we started talking about the blood of that covenant. Amen. It was a little bit dry, I give you that, but we just tried to figure out how the blood is connected to the covenant. And we ended up hopefully agreeing that it's because the blood has purified us from our sin and from our defilement. Now God who's holy can actually enter into a relationship with us. That's why the blood is the foundation of that covenant. Amen? Today we're going to build up on that and we're going to close that blood of the covenant title. Okay, So we're going to finish up today how the blood of Jesus is the foundation of the covenant that we have with God. Amen? We'll start by reading from Hebrews 9, 15 to 17. I just want to point that out to you once again. It's in the notes, or you can pull it out in your Bible. But Hebrews 9, 15 to 17. Listen to what the author of Hebrews was saying. Therefore, he, that is the Lord Jesus, is a mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Why? Look at this. This is foundational. Since death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. He's saying that the only reason we can obtain the promised eternal inheritance is this. There has been death. There has been a blood shed by Jesus. And because of his death, because of his blood shed that redeemed the transgression committed under the first covenant, now we actually can obtain that eternal inheritance. Verse 16, for where a will for where a will is involved, well, for where a will is involved, that death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect, listen to this, this is powerful. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And what we talked about last week is this. There is an analogy here that the author of Hebrews is making. And he's saying that the new covenant that we, that we have entered into with God, in so many ways, is like a will. And the author of Hebrews said that the will, look at what he's saying, takes effect when only at death. Without death, the will will be void, right? The will takes effect only at death. And then it says, since it is not 
in force as long as the one who made it is still alive. He's saying, you can have a well, that's no problem. And you can write in the well, Paul will take 5,000, Sergei will take 10,000. You can have all the well written down, that's no problem. But the problem is, this well, you will never have access to the money you're supposed to inherit until death take place. Amen? And in the same way, the author of Hebrews is saying this. God has a covenant, and it's a good covenant. It's a good will, and he want to give it to us. But this will can only work at death, for it's null, void, has no purpose, has no power, until Jesus died on the cross. And when Jesus died, that will, that covenant became effective. Now we can tap into that will, that covenant from God. Amen? So again, you guys see how the blood of the covenant, Jesus' death on the cross, his blood that was shed on the cross, is the only mean by which we can enter into that new covenant with God. Without that cross, without that blood, there is no way that we can tap into that covenant, even though the covenant is available. Amen? Because the covenant takes effect only at death. So let's look at that covenant that only was able to be available for us when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood. And we'll see the terms of the covenant, how, how, how great that covenant is. Just remember, throughout the whole sermon, this could have never been made possible to you and me unless Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. Amen? Because that will, that covenant, take place only, take effect only when Jesus died, when death occurred. So, we're going to look into the terms of that covenant and the character of that covenant. And you're going to see how wonderful that new covenant is. And then you'll appreciate more the blood of Jesus that made this covenant available for you and me. Amen? So, the new covenant um, talked about it the author of Hebrews talked about it a lot. And it's actually a direct quote from Jeremiah in the Old Testament. From verse, uh, chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. This one passage here was quoted multiple times in the New Testament. Let's just look at it and see what is the terms of that new covenant, that well, that God will make available for us at the death of Christ. Here is what Jeremiah said. God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a... New, new covenant. So that's the new covenant we're talking about. With the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with them, with their fathers, the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So God is saying, this is a new covenant. This is totally different than the one they broke in the past. Now let's focus on verse 33 to the end. For this is the covenant. Okay, ready? Here is the covenant. Here is the covenant that took place only at the death of Christ. For, he is, for here is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it, uh, write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. That's why God says this is the terms of the new covenant. Amen? So verses 33 to 30, um, 30 whatever, whatever the end, 34, 33, 34, that's it. God Say that the terms of the covenant, God will do three things. There is three, I will. God said, I will. 
three times in these two verses. And these three, I will, kind of the foundation, the terms of the covenant that God will enter with us. Amen? The first I will is this. I will put my law in their heart. Amen? The second one is I will be their God. Right? And then the last one, I will forgive their iniquities. That's the three I wills that God said he will do in the new covenant. Let's, Let's look at each one of them. Number one, I will put my law in their hearts. Right? Here is what is amazing about the gospel, about the Bible. I tell you, the more you dig in that Bible and the more you study, it is fascinating. So, we have the old covenant, right? That's the covenant that God made with Moses. What happened in the old covenant? God gave Moses the commandment, do this, don't do that. Were the children of Israel able to keep that covenant? No. No, no one was able to keep that covenant. So what is the solution to that? We have one of two options, right? Either God going to start compromising his law and say, well, don't lie. But if you lie, it's all right because you can't keep the law anyway. If I, don't, if I say don't ever lie and you cannot keep that, I have to lower my standard in a way so it can match up to what you can do, right? That's one option. The other option is this, is that God will lift us up to meet the standards of his law. Amen? You guys follow me? In order for us to meet the requirement of the law, which we can do, we don't have what it takes to do that. There's one of two things need to take place. Either God, the law is here, and we're down here at the bottom. Either God lowers the law to meet our standard, and God will have to compromise His holiness and who He is, or God has to raise us up to match us, empower us, so we can actually fulfill the requirement of the law. Any wild guess what God ended up doing? Any idea? He chose the second option. He empowered us. God can never compromise his law. God is so holy, so pure, he cannot compromise what he stands for. But in order for the law not to be compromised, and because we don't have what it takes to meet the requirement of the law, God has decided that he will empower us in the new covenant. This wasn't happening in the old covenant. In the old covenant, people failed. But God said, in the new covenant, I'm going to put that law not outside of you, and I'm going to put that law law inside of you. I'm going to write that law in your heart and I'm going to empower you so you can live the very requirement that I want. Amen? So it's not up to us anymore because God will give us the power to fulfill the very requirement of the law. Amen? Look at this amazing, fascinating scripture in Romans chapter 8. Look what Paul said. Look at this. Romans 8, 2 to 4. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. So Paul is saying there's two laws here. One of sin and death and one of spirit and life. And the law of spirit and life has made me free from the law of sin and death. Look at this. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. What does that mean? Paul was saying that what the law could not do in us, i.e. make us reach God by our own works. What the law failed to accomplish, which is bring us close to God. Why was the law unable to do that? Because of our flesh. You see that in the scripture. Because we're too weak. We have that flesh. We have that massive bad nature that is unable, incapable of fulfilling the law of God. So because the law 
failed. And the law failed not because the law is bad. The law failed because we are bad, right? Because we have that falling nature called flesh. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through our flesh, our nature. What happened to that? God did. God did. When the law was not able to lift us up to reach out to God because of our falling nature, God did that himself. He raised us up himself so we can meet the very requirement, the very uh, desires that he has for us, so we can live that holy life that he wants us to do. God did. How did God do that? How did God do what the law failed to do through the weakness of our flesh? Here it is. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful flesh. And on the account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be compromised. Right? Does it say compromised? Fulfilled. Fulfilled. God never compromised his law. What God did is he sent his son. And when Jesus died on the cross, he condemned sin. He put away sin. And because he put away sin, he comes and lives in us. And he empowers us. And he enables us to fulfill the very righteous requirement of the law of God. Amen. Uh, filled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Isn't that just fascinating? The Bible is just so amazing. I love just studying. So this is the first aspect of the new law, that God will write that law in our hearts. It's not any more external law. It is the same law. God didn't compromise or lower his standard. But instead of having the standard outside of us, he put it inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Amen? So that's number one. Number two, God said, I will be there, God. And when I was studying this, it's kind of um, baffled me a little. Why? Because this is supposedly a new covenant, right? But God in the Old Testament told the Israelites many times that he, uh, he is their God, right? So it's like, what is new about this? You said in the Old Testament to, 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 to Jews that you're going to be their God. Now you're saying you're going to make a new covenant and you haven't changed anything about it. But when you look into it, it's different. Here is why it's different. Because I, I'll give you a couple of examples. Here is when God said in the Old Testament, I will be your God. That's the Old Testament now, the Old Covenant. Exodus 20 verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So God said in the Old Testament, he's their God already. Leviticus 11:44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. So God, what is the difference? How come... You still the God of Israel in the old covenant, the God of us in the new covenant, yet somehow this is new? Yes, it's new. You know why? Because this time it's unconditional. There's no strings attached this time. God is our God, period. It doesn't matter if we will behave or if we misbehave. He's just our God because he, that's who he is. Amen? I mean, look at these times. That even just these two incidents that we just read, these two scriptures. Look at this. Exodus 22. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Look what happens after that. You shall have no other God before me. So God is saying, I'm your God. But here is the part, the thing. You have to do something about it. Amen. It's not like, I'm your God. End of the story. I'm your God, you have to give me the only God you worship. Another example, Leviticus 11.44. Again, for I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourself. 
So God is saying, I'm your God, therefore you have to respond to that by doing something. But let's read the terms of the new covenant. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Here he says, verse 33, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after this day, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it in their heart, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, you have to do that or this. Does the Bible say that? There is nothing in requirement in response to that. God is saying, I'm your God. End of story. It doesn't matter if you will behave or you misbehave. I'm your God, period. Amen? So in the new covenant, he is our God, but it is totally unconditional. It's independent of who we are or what we can do. Amen? I don't know about you people. You got to be a little bit more excited than that. (laughs) This is good news. Amen? You can't screw up your relationship with God no more. Amen? I'm not encouraging you to misbehave. I'm just saying that there's always grace enough for your sins. It doesn't matter if how many times you fail. If your heart is in the right place, there's always enough grace for you. Amen? So number one, God said, I will put my laws in their hearts. Number two, God says, I will be their God independent of how they behave. Number three, I will forgive all their iniquities. And in that, God kept on expanding and expanding and expanding on the terms of this covenant. Number one, he said, I will Forgive their iniquities. So the word iniquity here is more like guilt associated with breaking the law. I would say this phrase more like God is saying, I will pardon their punishment. Like, uh, I was just reading the news how the governor of uh, California just pardoned this, pardoned this guy. I don't know who he is or what he did. But this guy is guilty, right? Everybody agreed he's guilty. And he is to be punished. But then the governor or the president comes with an executive order and he say, even though you're guilty, even though you broke the law, even though you're up for a punishment, I have decided to pardon your punishment, right? And then this guy will go free, right? This is exactly what God says he's going to do for us. Even though we have, we have sinned against him and we broke the law and we are worthy of his punishment, he said, I will just be good to you and I will pardon their iniquity. But number two, I will remember their sin no more. It's not just total pardon, it's also total forgiveness. And what we talked about this before. When God forgives, God forgets. He will remember our sins no more. Now he will remember what we have done in the past. Total pardon, total forgiveness, total people. Everyone will be eligible to be pardoned by God. And that's why he said in in number 3, verse 34. No longer, look at this, verse 34. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all, all of them, everyone shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Why? Why everyone will know the Lord? For I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. The reason why every single one will know God, the smallest and the greatest, the richest and the poorest, every single one will know the Lord because God will decide to be gracious to all, forgiving to all, pardoning all. It's available to all people. Amen? It doesn't matter how sinful, it doesn't matter how far away you have come from God. There is pardon and there is forgiveness under the new covenant terms that can only be accessed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Let's close by this. Let's look at the characters of that new covenant. Alright? We talked about the terms of the covenant. Let's talk about the characters of the covenant. Number one, it's a new covenant, right? Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant that was for the remission of sin. Now, 
Look at this, this scripture in Hebrews 8.13. Look at what the author of Hebrews is saying. In speaking of new covenant, the author of Hebrews says, he makes the old covenant, the first covenant, the first one obsolete. And that it is be- what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is this. Because this is a new covenant, and by label it as new covenant, that means that the old one, the first one, is obsolete. It's gone. This is good news, friends. That means there is no need for any one of us to try to approach God on the terms of the old covenant, which is we have to work. We have to try. We have to put effort. And if we, God forbid, intentionally sinned once, we're doomed for all eternity. All these terms are gone. We have new covenant and all the old covenant terms have been obsoleted. Amen? Isn't that sad that every time you go out witnessing or share the gospel with people, there is millions and billions of people who are trying to still reach out to God on the terms of the old covenant. They poor people don't know this covenant is done. It's over. You don't have to reach God anymore by trying. All what you have to do is just trust the blood of Jesus and enter into that new covenant with God. Amen? It's a new covenant, but number two, it's an available covenant. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was available to only one nation, right? The children of Israel. That was not available to the whole world. But the New Covenant is an available covenant. Look what Jesus said. He said, this is my blood that was shed for the New Covenant for many. For as many as possible, as many people as they want, anyone, regardless of who they are, they can come and enter into that New Covenant. Amen? And finally here, it is an eternal covenant. And that's from Hebrews 13, 20. Um, I'm not sure if that's the right reference, but um, anyways, that scripture that says that Jesus entered into, not with blood of bulls and goats, but with the blood of his own, he has entered into the holy places and he has obtained an eternal redemption. Actually, it's true. It's, I was thinking, this is the right scripture. He says that God who raised the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of that eternal covenant. It's the right reference here. So that's the blood of that eternal covenant. I was thinking of eternal redemption. That's a good sermon for another day. <laughs> good, good. Um, so it's an eternal covenant. He's the great shepherd of the sheep that God has raised up by the blood of that eternal covenant. This is good news, friends. You know what means it's eternal There's no going back. There's not going to be a third covenant. Amen. This is the terms. It's good for us. We can enter into it by the blood of Jesus. And it's going to last as long as God lasts. Amen. God is not going to change his mind no more and change the old, like the old covenant. Go back and say, oh, that didn't work. Let me come up with a new covenant. Obviously, God did it on purpose. He wasn't surprised. He just wanted to show us that we cannot do it on our own. That's why he did the old covenant. But his purpose all through history is the new covenant. Amen. So the good news is this is eternal. This is no way that God will ever come back to us and say, oops, this is too good for you guys. Let me just make it a little bit tougher. Amen. Amen. It's an eternal covenant. So here's the good news. Is that a good deal or a bad deal for you guys? I'm telling you. It's a great covenant, I tell you. It's amazing. I love it. I don't have to strive for God. He's my father regardless of of who I am or what I do. Amen? I mean, I love him. I want to please him. But it's it's unconditional. What can I do? Amen? But here is the tricky part. This covenant is like a will. 
and the will take effect only when at death. It's of no force, it's of it's null, it's void, it doesn't do any good as long as the one who wrote the will is alive, right? That's what the author of Hebrews said. This good covenant that God is making available for every single sinner in this world can only be accessed. It's the only foundation for it is the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of the new covenant. Amen? Okay, let's close our eyes and pray. Yes, Lord.